Philippians chapter 4, will you turn there with me? There's Bibles in the seat back in front of you. Paul had been uh, encouraging the church at Philippi because a lot of things were going on in that congregation. A lot of things were, were going on with those people. Paul had known them for 10 years. And if you know anyone from 10 years, you know a lot happens in, in a, a span of 10 years. A lot of good things and a lot of difficult things. When Paul had first met the church at Philippi, it was, it was a beautiful beginning. God had started this young church, but then persecution came right away. Paul was beaten and thrown in jail and then was eventually told to get out of town. But nevertheless, through that persecution, that church was born. Paul went on to Thessalonica, or actually into Macedonia, to continue uh, the work of spreading the gospel. What was really important was that connection he had with that church. And this is one of the churches that Paul just really, you can tell he just loves them. They were involved heavily with his life. They were involved in the ministry. They were involved in and getting to know him and to see how he's doing and, and sending people and, and money and different things. Uh, because Paul had it rough in certain times. Paul was really suffering as he was going into places that were very hostile to receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who wants to be told to repent and to turn from their sins and that their life that they're living is leading them to hell? No one wants to hear that. And people with power... People who are caught in their sin will try to shut you up. And that's exactly what they were trying to do with Paul. And Paul in his writing is writing back to the Philippians 10 years after. And he's saying, listen, I know it looks bleak. I know the things that I've been going through seem like, you know, the enemy's had an upper hand. But actually God has used my persecution. He's used this situation for good. Because now I'm in Rome and I'm in jail in Rome. And now people in the palace guard, people in... Nero's household, Caesar's household, who you know, uh, you know, like in in the uh, you know the guard was chained to him 24 hours a day. So you know, like if you get chained to an apostle, you've got you're going to go crazy, or you're going to be, you know, give your life to Jesus. One of the two. People were coming to Jesus in, in the guard, and he's saying, "Listen, God is using these difficult circumstances in my in my life to bring me to situations that I would never have been able to go to in my own strength." to reach people that God wanted to reach with the gospel. And this mindset was in Paul. That whatever circumstance I'm in, whatever I'm going through, whether it's suffering or, or joy, I'm in it for the kingdom. I'm about the gospel. No matter where I am, what I'm doing, I'm about Jesus. I'm about his gospel going forward. And he's going back to the church and he's writing the church and telling them, now, I know you're suffering the same things that I went through. You're, you're now suffering persecution. But I want you to know that God's going to work all these things together for his good. It's going to turn out okay. God will reach people, even though you're being people are losing their lives. You're not having all the good things in life that you really want. He's reaching them on a level that people, I'd say in our society, uh, we're inundated with pain and suffering, aren't we? But it's usually, you know, uh, it's not, I would say the whole world's inundated with pain and suffering, not to minimize any areas, but 
quite often as, as Christians, we fail to go beyond that. And we're seeking constantly for a way out. In my own Bible, I went through the Psalms, and I'm, I'm looking back over the past 13 years as I've learned 15, 16 hours of those books. Now, I've been in pain for a long time. They call it fibromyalgia, but I don't think that's what it is. It's just pain, and some of you can identify. And for the first several years, you see me going through the Bible, and I'm looking at verses and going, God, please, you know, let this be. This is my hope. God, if you're going to rescue me from this, you're going to rescue me from this, you're going to rescue me from this. And he hasn't. It's gotten worse. I would not be here if it were not for that. Because God, through that pain, not to say that God always wants us to go through pain. Sometimes it's a wake-up call to say, hey, change your life. Right? Sometimes it's a way to say repent. Sometimes it's a way to say, you know, wake up. Sometimes God is using pain in our lives to create character. Because His Son suffered immensely, died at 33 years of age, didn't have any kids, all that good stuff that we enjoy so much, right? But for the joy set before him, the joy, he endured the cross. He was about his father's plan, his father's will, his father's agenda. And so like in me, there has to come a shift in my heart where I stop focusing on God rescue me, God rescue me, God rescue me. And the prayer has to change to, God, open my eyes to what you're doing. What, what would I, you know, like Jesus said, nevertheless your will be done. And that's kind of the, the click that has to happen in our hearts as we suffer. God, I know this is hurting, but nevertheless your will be done. Open my eyes to your kingdom off myself and back onto you. And as I'm going to the hospital and visiting people, open my eyes to the people that I'd be around with that I would normally not see. As I'm struggling with finances, as I'm struggling with all these different things, I'm just trying to talk about in general generalities, open our eyes to opportunities to be salt and light to a world that is dying. Amen? And as a church, I want to encourage us that God is concerned with our, you know, our, our, our pains and our aches. He's very concerned with those things. And I don't want to minimize those whatsoever. But as a fellow sufferer, I want to say that if we stay focused on the, on the aches and pains, we might be missing out on what God intends to do with those aches and pains. So yes, pray for one another that we might be healed, but let also our, our hearts and our minds be identified with Christ in this life. There is suffering. We're not supposed to go through this life apart from suffering. That is what sin produces in the world. It, we're, 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 we can't separate ourselves from it. And that is why this body will die. It's not going into the kingdom. He's not bringing the, the sin, the pain, the suffering, 
the anger, the fits of rage, the uh, selfishness, whatever it is, it's not going into the kingdom. It's dying. But then we've also got the spirit inside of us that Jesus has placed in us. When we called upon him, his spirit comes in there. We're to keep in step with that and to crucify our flesh daily and follow after Jesus. And part of that is not being overcome with fear, not being overcome with anxiety, not being overcome with these things that so easily stare all of us. Amen? So I'm not speaking as, you know, hey, you, you know, be super people. We're relating with one another and saying, it's common. But let us press on towards the prize. Let us look to Jesus as our model in all these things. Who suffered yet did not abandon. And he kept on even to death. Wow. And that same spirit that was in him is in us. To give us strength to endure until the end where we can say, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ, just like Paul. I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. I live for him. Flesh is cut off. And that's the heart of, I think, of what he's trying to say to this dear church that's going through a lot of suffering. And he says there in verse 6, he realizes all the things that are going on. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. There's a lot to be anxious about. Amen? Aches, pains, people, relationships, economics, government. You just go down down the line, my car, you know, the van of shame. You know, it's just, <clears throat> that's enough for anxiety, right? And so Paul encourages his brothers and sisters. He says, you know, I know you're going to be prone to these things. I know you're going to be prone to anxiety. It's there. I see it. But he says, under these difficult circumstances, I want you to seek God's way of dealing with it, not man's way. God's way is through prayer, petition, with thanksgiving. And prayer is general communication with God. Petition is specifically making your request known to God with great detail. And I went over this at more length last week, so I'm not going to go too much into it. And do it with thanksgiving. Like worship, thanksgiving is a choice. You can choose to be thankful, or you can choose not to be thankful. It's a choice. How many of you like to live your life based upon feelings? I don't feel thankful, therefore I choose not to be. Boy. That's a, that'd be a miserable Christian life because most of the things God asks us to do are counter to our feelings. It's just to be through faith. But as we, as we call out to him and, and, and as we cry out to our circumstances, make every single detail known. As we expose the situation as we see it, the Holy Spirit begins to come and he begins to minister to our hearts. And, and we pray with thankfulness for what he's done and also for what he will do. I know you're going to be strong. I know you're going to come through on this, Lord. Thank you for being so faithful in the past. And it says, as we pray in this manner, the Holy Spirit begins to minister to us, and our anxiety in our hearts will begin to dissipate. But I might add persistent prayer. This is not a one-and-done deal. This is a lifestyle. 
And it says in verse 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I need the peace of God because the facts say a lot of bad things. The trajectory is like, oh no, we're going down, uh, you know. But the peace that passes all understanding will transcend that and will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And that is what the church needs. If we're to walk this walk after Christ, if we're going to live like Him, we need His peace in our hearts guiding us. How do we get it? Through prayer, petition, with thanksgiving. And so if you struggle with these things, may I suggest God's wisdom in them. It's there for you taking. But Paul doesn't stop with prayer. Listen to this. He doesn't just stop with prayer and petitions with thanksgiving. He encourages his brothers and sisters to train their minds to dwell upon the things that would bring them peace. You know, if we're anxious, if we're fearful, if we're depressed people, I have to ask, what are we feeding our minds with? What are we feeding our minds with? The world is going to saturate us as it is. Amen? We can't live in a bubble. But what are we voluntarily fixing our hearts and our minds upon? Those are lifestyle questions. Those are choices that we have in our lives. What are we focusing on? Finally, brothers and sisters, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I went over those in detail last week. Dwell on those things. If you seek healing and protection for your kids, anybody have anxious kids? Think about what you let into your home, what you let into your car, what you let them read, what you let them look at. Is it creating anxiety? They're not adults. And I'm just seeing examples, right? I'm not trying to judge anybody. We've got to look at the reality of what we're letting into our, our hearts that would create anxiety. Instead, dwell on the things in the verse 8 says and ask the Lord to reveal what they are and how to implement them in our lives and do it. Amen? You know, I get persecuted for not watching TV in our house. That's judging, huh? If I don't watch TV, then if you're watching TV, then what does that mean? Well, look at you. I love watching the Chargers lose. You know that. I can watch football. I can watch, you know, a movie on, you know, whatever. It's not like we're, you know, hobbits in our own little world. But we've made a choice. There's so much evil there. In our house, we say, you know what? There's enough anxiety going on. We want to, we want to eliminate that. They're going to have enough influence with the world and interacting with people and, and trying to filter those things. So I'm just giving the example of the choices that, you know, like a choice I've made in my life. I love TV, okay? Don't get me wrong. I don't like it, but the things that come out of there are not godly most of the time. 98%? Put a percentage on it. I don't know. I mean, I love the History Channel. It's awesome. You know, but 
A lot of horrible things happen in the world. I'm just, let the Spirit of God lead us in this. It's not a do this, do that, don't do this, do that, this is what is my home, this is what's good for your home. It's let the Spirit of God speak to your hearts in these matters. Amen? Liberty, freedom, it's great. But you're also free to guard yourselves <laughs> from evil. And Paul, notice what he says. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. We're to be mimicking these things for others. It's a high calling to be a Christian. By the context, it seems as though Paul was the one who meditated upon those things in verse 8. And this is a struggle for every follower of Christ, not only to say it, but to live it. And Paul is able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I want us to be in that place. I want to be in that place to say, if you would walk into my life and see me at any time, say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And the God of peace will be with you. We lack peace in our society. We lack peace in our homes. We lack peace in our relationships. Why? May I suggest you to meditate upon these things with the Word of God. Not just graze over them and get in the information stage, but let the Lord bring them down to our hearts. I'm in this process as well. And the God of peace shall be with you. God is known by many names. He wants to be your I am. What do you need? I am. I am that thing you need. The God of peace. He has several names in the Old Testament. El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. You know, which means Lord God Almighty. El Elyon, the Most High God. Adonai means Lord or Master. Yahweh means Lord. Jehovah. Jehovah Nisan. Uh, Nisai, sorry. The Lord my banner. Jehovah Ra. The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Jehovah Tsitkanu, the Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Mekadeshishikim, yes. The Lord who sanctifies you. El Oliam, the everlasting God. Elohim, God. Uh, Kwana, jealous God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. How many of you need a provider? Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. And the God of peace will be with you. He wants to be your God. What do you need? We don't, you know, the old world, they went to all these little gods and they worshipped all these different separate little gods for all things. He is the eternal God. And that's what Mars Hill was all about. When Paul is talking to these people, he says, all these different gods you have set up, I have the eternal God here I want to put on display for you to meet all of your needs, whatever you need. But it's not like an ATM. We die. We surrender. We identify ourselves with Christ. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. It's the upside down world. The upside down world. It's the opposite of where we are. We die. We surrender. And God gives us the desires of our hearts. That's scary because the cross is scary to some of us. I don't want to give up that relationship. I don't want to give up that 
lifestyle. I don't want to give up that habit. I don't want to give this thing. Whatever it is, I don't want to give up my money and sell it to the poor and come follow you. I don't want to give up my family. Uh, you know, I want to keep doing the boating business. And so, well, okay, we'll let the dead bury the dead. Jesus was very serious. Unless you hate your brother, mother, sister, wife, anybody more, and he's talking about, unless I'm first, I'm, 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 I'm number one in your life. You cannot be my disciple. Scary, heavy stuff. It doesn't, I'm not telling you, if you walk out of here saying, I'm going to go hate my family, that's not what the message was, okay? It's not what Jesus is saying. He's using big terms to let us know he's got to be number one. And whatever he calls you to do, whatever he calls you to give up, you do it. Trust him. I rejoice, verse 10, greatly in the Lord. At last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul was responding to the church's assistance that they had sent him. As I had mentioned, they had been involved in his life. Apparently, there was a season where they probably were unable to help him. They weren't able to do it. Any of you have ever been there? Paul knew that they were concerned and they wanted them and he wanted them to know that he knew that they would have helped if they could. I know your heart. I know you would have helped me if you could. I know you would have done it. And he tried to reassure them not to feel bad because Paul had learned to be content in every situation. They were genuinely concerned. Gosh, we haven't given to him. He's probably in their jail suffering, not being because if you were in jail in Rome, it was up to people. They didn't have like they weren't feeding you. That had to happen from people you knew. They're a little different than our jails today. No TV. Nothing. So they were they were discouraged. And he reminds them, hey, listen, I learned to be content. God's taking care of me. I need to be content in all circumstances. Through Christ who strengthens me. It's okay. Discontentment is dangerous. It can lead to all sorts of problems, and it does. I just thought of a few. Debt, unfaithfulness, a lack of loyalty. All discontent. James talks about it. If you're struggling with being discontent, I recommend a great book entitled Ecclesiastes by King Solomon, the most the second most wise person in human existence. Pretty great book. Ecclesiastes. And you're going to totally relate with this guy if you struggle with not being content. The only thing is he had unlimited resources and unlimited power, and he could do whatever he wanted. So he went through and tried to do all these things to, to be content in his soul. Talk about someone who was discontent. I won't tell you the end. But Paul found the solution, the strength that Christ gave him when he had nothing and when he had everything. Christ was his contentment. Yet it was good for you, verse 14, to share in my troubles. 
Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, from, uh, from Macedonia, so they went from Philippi north to Macedonia, and then he went on from there, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And after leaving Philippi for the first time in Acts 16, Paul went on to Thessalonica. And while Paul was establishing the church there, he was sustained by being a tent maker. He was doing his own things and by the offerings given by the Philippians. And it happened on more than one occasion as recorded in the, different, uh, the epistles. Paul was saying that they alone helped him to establish the gospel. And, it can, and he commended them for this. Now, sometimes when people receive something, Paul wants to make this clear, you know, and they bring it up to you, like, hey, thanks for doing that and all that stuff. You know, you kind of get the idea that they're asking for more. You know what I'm saying? Hey, that's great. You know, it was wonderful that happened. And, uh, hey, thanks for doing that. And uh, that was wonderful. And it was great. And, uh, you know, hey, you got anything else to say? Paul wants to make sure that they know something. Paul clears it up. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough, and I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And so Paul is saying, hey, I'm genuinely thankful for everything you've given. I'm not asking for more. Everything's good. But I... His foremost concern was that they knew that the gifts that they had sent would be credited to their account. And what's he talking about there? You flip over to Matthew 25 for me. With me. Matthew 25. We're going to read in verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate the peoples one from another as a shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the foundations of the world, the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in, or in need of clothing, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, in prison, and go and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
And then he will say to those on his left, verse 41, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not lock, uh, look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or in or a stranger or in need of clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, the righteous to eternal life. Words in red, Jesus. Not that I desire gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul realized that every time they ministered to him, they were ministering to Jesus. He's saying, my desire is that they get more. It's that you would be blessed in me. You know, and with the churches today that are calling out for, just give me your money, people are so sick of being taken advantage of. You know, I hate it. I hate it. it. It drags Christ's name through the mud. You know, it, it makes people not want to give. And when there are legitimate needs for the gospel to go forward, when there are legitimate things that God wants to advance, and it's not as if God can't do it, but He wants you to be blessed in it. He wants you to receive spiritual blessings as you give. And, and let me, let me, how often do I talk about giving? Since I've been here, how often? Three years? How many messages on giving have I given? Two. Tam, tell the truth. None. And I'm not going to do it now. Because that's between you and the Spirit. But the principle is important. May God challenge us to continue to partner with Him in His will, His kingdom, His gospel. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His riches, the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. And as they had given to Paul, He reassured them that His God, He said, My God, will meet all their needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Me included. Some of the reason why I withhold is because of fear of not having enough. Anyone? That's a faith issue. It is. It's, it's, it's a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue between us and God. God's got to get us to the place where we trust Him. Not that we're crazy. Not that we do it out of compulsion. Not that we give out of compulsion. But that we give out of the right heart. Out of trust. That's why Jesus is so clear about this in Scripture. He, he nailed people who gave publicly so everybody would see it. And He rewarded those who gave, out of, who gave hardly anything gave out of the right heart and said, I tell you what, that woman who just put in that little thing, she gave more than all these people put together. Looking at the heart, 
but I have a more important thing to talk to you about. In Luke 6:38, it says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Give, and it shall be given. How is it going to be given to you? A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And the cool thing is this is not limited to money. It's actually in the context of other things. How often do we use this about money? Do you hear that? The context he's talking about here, he said, uh, is about not judging and not condemning, but rather giving and forgiving. Are we judging and condemning? That measure will be used for us. But are we forgiving one another? And are we giving? That measure will be used for us. Amen? That's exciting stuff and scary stuff at the same time. Now, when Jesus says, do not judge, this doesn't mean that we can't point out sin in each other's lives. I don't know where we got that idea within the church that we cannot be salt and light. We see a brother or sister in sin, we're commanded to go to them and restore them gently. But here's the trick to not being judgmental. Jesus says, go check out what's your in your own. I first before you dare go point the finger to someone else. If you start pointing the finger at someone else, you better be careful. You better look into your own heart because you don't even know what's going on in your own heart. Be careful how you judge because the same measure you use will be used against you. And this is where we are called to that self-evaluation before God. God, take this out of me. Is the thing, thing I'm seeing in my brother or sister, is that going on in my own life? And if it is, get, get it out. Get it out. So that I may see clearly, and my motive will be love and restoration, not swishing. Amen? So... Let us be a people who are known to be gracious and forgiving and not judgmental and condemning. Amen? But let us also embrace the holiness of Christ in our lives, lest we justify sin in our lives and drag his name through the mud before the world that we're trying to reach. And so at the very end, it says, To God, our Father, to God and Father be glory and uh, forever and ever. Amen. Now, in verse 21, as was custom by Paul, in his writings, Paul sends his final greeting to us. Read this, and we'll go ahead and close. He says, "Greet all people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me, they send their greetings, and all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household." I love that. New believers, hey, tell them we said hi. What's going on? Woohoo! New believers are awesome. I love them. They're just excited about everybody, you know? God is so good, isn't he? Tell those people hi. You can see it. But I was thinking Paul was reminding them of the fruit of the ministry that they shared and in the context of partnering and suffering with 
gospel. There's people here. You're reaching people. It's not just, you know, you're sending coats and, and, and some funds and some food and things and people here to help me. There's actually lives being changed. And I pray that in the midst of our suffering, lives will be touched through you. That those of you who are suffering, God might be calling some of you to go visit a Paul or to give up all you have and go on the mission field. Why not? God might be calling you to go minister downtown. God might be calling you to start a children's ministry. God might be calling you to step out in faith in some way that God has created you specifically for. Some of you, those of you are supporting the work of the ministry. Those of you who are investing your time in prayer. Those of you who are teaching His Word. Those of you who are preaching the Gospel. Those of you who are, who are suffering. Those of you who are raising godly kids. Those of you who are being a light in the workplace. Continue on. Continue on. Wherever God has you, grow and shine. And I pray that we would cast off the pursuits of this world and would lay hold of Christ this year. Pray that by His grace we'll be able to say, as a result of the gospel, our brothers and sisters say hello, and especially those of Elmwood Lake. Who's going to come to the Lord this year through you? I don't know. Let's lay hold of it. Amen? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for this church. I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Philippians. We ask that your spirit would just fall upon us and quicken these things in our hearts. Help us with anxiety. Help us to put good things into our hearts. Help us to put Jesus foremost in our lives. We lift up those who are hurting this morning. We ask that you touch them and heal them, Father. We pray for those things. We ask for those of you who you've decided not to heal, Lord, that you would encourage them to, to continue to embrace the cross and mold and shape Jesus in them. Father, for those in here who have not received or bowed their knee to your Son, we ask that you would touch their hearts this morning. They would surrender and cry out, God, I'm yours. Forgive me. Cleanse me. That you would take them and pull them into your kingdom and clothe them with righteousness. Remove all their sin and give them hope of eternity, Father. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.